Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 91 of The Dynamite Effect, recapping the highs and lows from AW Dynamite on TBS. I am your host and humble guide, Keela Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week 151 of Recitopia continues. Happy Thursday morning, afternoon, and evening to you all as another busy week in the worlds of WWE and AW continues. And last night was AW Dynamite going down live from the Curtis Corwell Center in Garland, Texas. And this was the Winter is Coming edition of Dynamite, a very good show for the most part, which I'll get to shortly but I would be remiss if I don't talk about the release of Mandy Rose from WWE yesterday afternoon. And it is something that has caused a stir on social media because she had a for pay fan service. You get some risque content. WWE was aware of this. Things kind of took a turn recently and they were trying to clamp down on the service. And I guess she thought to herself, I'm making a lot of bank here. I'm not giving it up. And WWE cut her. And I was wondering why we had this championship match between Mandy Rose and Roxanne Perez weeks before New Year's Evil, which is supposed to go down on Tuesday, January 10th. The match was moved up last night and Roxanne won the title and Mandy was released the very next day. And I have seen think pieces on social media about, well, WWE exploits women, it's misogynistic, and we go to the Playboy deals back in the day, we go to the sexualization of toxic attraction for the last year or so, which I've pointed out on numerous occasions regarding the male gaze of zooming in on the ass, the legs, the boobs, and then you just keep at it when they make their entrance down to the ring, especially when the camera's on Mandy Rose. And that was my main issue with the over-sexualization of Gigi, Jesse, and Mandy Rose in order to pop the mere viewership that never really grew when NXT 2.0 was rebooted last year. And there is irony in that WWE wants to exploit you, but you can't make paper from doing the same thing by having agency over how you want to present yourself online. That's where I'm at with the situation and I'm not privy to conversations between Mandy and WWE regarding the content she was posting and there might have been some leaks recently that WWE wasn't happy about which I completely understand there might be a morality clause in the contract regarding sponsors I'm not sure but I think it was a knee-jerk decision unless she was warned repeatedly about the content and if you think that you're making more bank doing online stuff for fans versus working for WWE be about your business. Zelina Vega made a similar stand over Twitch a couple of years ago, and she got released because of it. She was defiant, and I respected her decision to say, fuck this. And if Mandy feels the same way, good for her. That's her decision. If she thinks she can make more money outside of WWE with her online service, good for her. Zelina came back to WWE less than a year later. Minds can change. Perspectives can switch around. You never know. And Mandy might consider that one day. Maybe she will explore a different company that will be more open-minded to what she chooses to do on the side. I'm all about third-party deals. If you're using your government name, do what you will. Have fun with it. Be respectful. That's all I have to say about it. But if there were conversations regarding content, that's between her and WWE. If they warned her and she says whatever, she made that choice. I'm not going to have my pitchforks ready for WWE. Decisions were made and they cut her yesterday. And she has to stand in her truth in this moment. If she wants to continue to be a wrestler, companies will sign her. Will there be some restrictions as to what she can and cannot do with that website? I don't know. But things vary per promotion. And it's up to her and it's up to the companies at the end of the day. So I'm not going to have think pieces about WWE this, WWE that. It is what it is. I stand by supporting the superstars having third 
party side hustles, whether it's Cameo, Twitch, OnlyFans, alternative services that are doing no harm to anyone and you're making bank and you're having fun. And if you're not breaching your contract, do what you will. But if you are warned about certain stuff and you keep defying the company, there will probably be consequences. And we can be blue in the face, bitching and moaning about it. But if there were conversations had and she said, nope, she said, nope, for a reason. She's making more money outside of WWE and she's about her paper. And I respect that at the end of the day. So that's my stance on the situation regarding her release. I wish her well. If she continues to wrestle, fantastic. If not, she had a pretty good run in WWE for the last seven or so years from Tough Enough to NXT to the main roster, back to NXT in the last year where she really found herself as a character, even though I thought she was locking in during the pandemic era on SmackDown a couple of years prior. And now... Let's refocus our attention on last night's AEW Dynamite going down live from Garland, Texas. A really fun crowd hyped most of the night, which I greatly appreciate. Gives me that jolt as a viewer to really engage with the show emotionally as we kick things off with match number four in our best seven series involving the Elite versus the Death Triangle for the AEW World Trios Championship. And this match is far different from what we got at Full Gear and in Chicago and a few weeks ago on Dynamite as well. This match was all about the ankle injury of one Nick Jackson. He did a flip dive on Ray Phoenix on the outside after Kenny Omega and Matt Jackson wiped out Pintel, Zero M, and Pack on the outside with dives of their own. And he came up limping and favoring the right ankle. And Brandon Cutler sprayed it for a bit to try to loosen it up to make sure it wasn't going to get too stiff. But he was attended to backstage by medical personnel a short time later. And it was basically Kenny Omega and Matt Jackson fitting off Death Triangle. They did so for a time by double teaming pack with the Katori Crusher for a near fall at one point but eventually the numbers game got the best of Omega and Matt Jackson as we had Penta and Ray Phoenix work over him. Matt tries to fight back with those beautiful Northern Light Suplex rollovers on both Lucha Brothers for a near fall. Kenny Omega and Pat go at it, which was always fun as he laid out everybody with Snapdragon suplexes, lands a brain buster on Pac. He goes for the hot tag to Matt Jackson, but Penta blocks it by delivering a fear factor to Matt Jackson on the hardest part of the ring. You guessed it, the ring apron. And from there, Kenny Omega is in no man's land. He is going to be taken from the top rope via a top rope inverted Spanish fly by Ray Phoenix. We have Pentaland made in Penta, followed by Ray going up top for a unique frog splash on Kenny for a very close near fall. The beatdown continues as Pac sets a black arrow in the corner on Omega, but Omega moves out of the way and Pac lands hard face first on the mat. His broken nose is going through it as Nick Jackson makes a triumphant return. Bat ankle and all delivers some nice lariats to everyone, including a cutter on Phoenix. Pack is going to cause a distraction, which allows Penta to grab the hammer behind the referee's back. Ray Phoenix blocks a Nick Jackson super kick and Ray holds the ankle and Penta is going to smash the ankle with the hammer. And these fans in Garland, Texas boo this act of villainy by Death Triangle. Ray's like, what the fuck are you doing? But you know where we're trying to win this match, go up 3-1 and he locks in a heel hook and it's cinched in. Kenny's trying to break it up, but... Nick Jackson has no choice but to tap out as Death Triangle goes up 3-1 in this best of seven series. After the match is over, Kenny Omega grabs the microphone and tells Death Triangle, you love the cheat, huh? You love to take the easy way out. How about we have anything goes next week? No DQ match, match five. And it is made official. You can do whatever the hell you want to do for match five. If it comes down to match six on December 28th, it will be 
falls count anywhere. And if it goes to a seventh and decisive match, the trios championships will be determined via a ladder match at the Kia Forum in Los Angeles, California. We're definitely getting a match seven. And this will go down as quite possibly the greatest best of seven series ever if those last three matches hold up between now and the start of the new year. Hot way to start dynamite. More storytelling via this match, via high-flying crazy shit, but it was all good as the Elite are trying to win three matches in a row to secure these trio's titles for a second time. Next up is the acclaimed coming out for a wrap, but they're ambushed by Satnam Singh, Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and... Jeff Jarrett, as Jeff is going to smash a guitar over Max Castro's head, calls him a little bitch, throws in a slap nuts line, as is clearly Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal in line for the AEW World Tag Team titles next. Eh, whatever. They got heat, but I want the acclaimed and better storylines and feuds with more comparable tag teams heading into the new year, even though this is an okay stopgap for now. Next up is Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Brian Cage. And this was a good match. Perry is so good and over as a babyface. And Brian Cage is crazy strong and athletic. A good combination as Jungle Boy goes for his Escalera arm drag only for Brian Cage to block it early on. And to Jungle Boy, Canada's a fireman's carry into her Karana and a drop kick. But he's favoring his neck due to Big Bill choke slamming him on the hardest part of the ring. You guessed the ring apron during the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royale last week on Dynamite. And that allows Brian Cage to take advantage of the situation by delivering a superplex from the apron back in the ring and he's going to deliver several bicep curls to Jungle Boy before landing a fallaway slam as we go to a picture and picture commercial break. We come back and Perry is trying to fight back with a comeback lariat, which Cage absorbs. He is going to go for a power bomb, but Perry turns it into a DDT. Cage lands an overhead German suplex on Jungle Boy, followed by the spitting for Nelson Driver. Perry kicks out of that. Cage wants to drill claw, but Perry gets a roll up instead. And Perry avoids the F5 into a goddamn Canadian destroyer, which is incredible for Brian Cage's size and for Jungle Boy to execute that counter beautifully as the crowd goes crazy. He locks in a snail trap and Cage taps up a Prince Nana on the ape and attracting the referee long enough for Cage to break free he goes for a lariat but Jungle Boy ducks it and he is going to roll up Brian Cage for a very crafty leverage pin and after the match is over Soakley at the way comes out with Big Bill on the firm and they jump Jungle Boy it's a beat down until Hook makes the save clears the ring and it's Hook and Jungle Boy shaking hands standing tall and looking oh so good together I made this declaration on Twitter that outside of Pretty Deadly, Hook and Jungle Boy Jack Perry are the prettiest tag team in all the land. Just drop dead gorge, talented for days, and I would love to see them as a tag team in 2023. That would be the goal for me. I'm kind of ready for Jungle Boy to be a single star, but at the same time, I want Hook elevated via Dynamite and Rampage and more meaningful matches. I'm all for this partnership, and I would love to see them built up as a comparable tag team for maybe the acclaimed heading into Revolution in March if they really string together wins and gel as a team. And it's a good move by Tony Khan to get Hook in a meaningful storyline with Jack Perry as a possible tag team partner. Let's freaking go. I'm game for this. I have woken up and I'm paying attention to this sparkling, pretty, talented tag team that could really get over with a good push to boot. Next up is the House of Black 
Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews versus The Factories, Nick Camarado, Aaron Solo, Cole Carter. We got Lee Johnson and Q2 Marshall in the mix as well. And Nick is going to throw a lollipop at Julia Hart and she misses his ass. And we have Brody King and Buddy Matthews demolishing The Factory at ringside. It's a brutal attack. And QT is all alone. And Malachi wipes him out with black mass for the very quick win. Not mad at it. As House of Black stands tall, I want them to have a strong push heading into the new year as well. I want them to have first dibs at the new trio's champions, whoever they may be, whether it's the Elite or Death Triangle. I'm ready for House of Black to have a reign as a permanent force on AEW TV heading into 2023 because they're that damn good with a push to boot as well. Next up is, dare I say, upset of the decade. It's Action Andretti versus Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho thought that tonight would be quick work against a jobber that would not challenge him in any way because he wants another shot at the Ring of Honor World Championship against Claudio Casanoli. And he thinks this is going to be an easy beat, an easy win. He thought fucking wrong. This was Razor Ramon and 123 Kid all over again from nearly 30 years ago. And I fucking lived. So Jericho is disrespecting Andretti by pie-facing him beating his ass. The fans start a let's go jobber chant, which is kind of disrespectful, but Andretti responds with a head scissors and Tornillo, which is really impressive. And Jericho pops right back up before even a one count lands a DVD and a code breaker. But when Andretti kicks out these fans and Excalibur cannot believe this shit like this dude is about to survive heading into a picture and picture commercial break how can this be so we come back and Jericho is beating this man's ass throughout the break and the fans still continue with let's go jobber chance you can do it and Andretti responds with chops but an eye poke by Jericho stops his momentum once again but Andretti goes for a flying forearm clotheslines a backbreaker into a neckbreaker and these fans are fucking going crazy for the jobber their words not mine Andretti lands a split-legged moonsault but Jericho moves out of the way at the last minute by getting the knees up Jericho misses the Judas effect to knock his ass out Andretti lands a springboard kick this is Jericho outside and lands a moonsault on Jericho as well that pops the crowd the announcers cannot believe it back in the ring Andretti goes for another springboard but Jericho blocks that and goes to the walls of Jericho but he gets rolled up for two and we have Andretti going for a two-to-roll DDT followed by a running shooting star press and he pins Chris Jericho. He pins one of the most prolific professional wrestlers who ever lived. The crowd is going crazy. This guy Andretti's having a celebration and Jericho cannot believe what just happened. Neither can I. I love stuff like this. The unexpected happened and this guy balled out and got an AEW deal out of it. Good for him. Action Andretti, we're never going to forget the name. This guy was impressive. Won over an entire crowd and scored an AEW contract. You cannot beat that. And Chris Jericho is one of the GOATs, one of the greatest to ever do it in this game. And that's big of him to give this guy a big win over him and shock everyone. Unforgettable moment fantastic night for action Andretti I hope that he gets a sustained push on AEW TV wow what a way to shock all of us in the best possible way by making somebody in a night and now we know the name action Andretti and rightfully so 
Next up is Ruby Soho versus Ty Mello in a grudge match. And this match was solid as Mello and Soho fought at ringside before the bell even rang. And eventually the bell did ring and Ruby took it to Ty because they've been beefing since before the end of the summer. And it's a very physical matchup as Mello and Soho trade shots back and forth and Soho lands multiple back suplexes on Ty Mello goes for no future which is blocked and Mello is going to leave the scene she said I had enough of this I'm gonna go up the ramp and say bye-bye but in doing so Soho goes after her goes to destination unknown on the ramp but Mello blocks it and hits the DD tie on the ramp as we go picture and picture we come back and Mello is controlling the action for a bit until Ruby Soho fights back by slamming Mello's face repeatedly in the corner. She leaps up top of Roaster and Mello pops up and hits a pump kick for a near fall. Both of these are trading stiff strikes until Mello lands a gout style power driver on Ruby for two. Soho is going to block the tie KO and land the destination unknown preceded by a knee strike to the face for the win. Anna J comes out and lands a gory bomb special on Ruby Ruby Soho to help her friend from the Jericho Appreciation Society as Ruby Soho needs a friend to balance this out. I beg of thee. We cannot go back to Ruby getting her ass beat by the heels every single week. She must find a friend. Who shall the friend be? I have a nominee, Willow Nightingale. Please and thank you in that order. Amen. And now it is time for our main event. It is MJF versus Ricky Starks for the AEW World Championship and the Dynamite Diamond Ring. Now, this match was built up beautifully via promos last week from MJF and Ricky Starks. We had some strong backstage promos from both men last night. MJF saying, I make stars. I made Ricky last week. But can he handle the pressure? I have nothing to worry about. I'm already made. I'm great. I'm this. I'm that. Ricky is the one who's got pressure on him to win the big one in this moment in time. Can he rise to the occasion? Can he be a diamond in the rough or will he be a pebble crumbling under the pressure? Ricky Starks has a nice rebuttal, calls Max, Maxi Pads once again and says he's built for this. He's ready for this. He's ready to be the champion and the dynamite diamond ring runner. And he is going to be the guy to knock Maxwell off his pedestal. And we knew deep down in our souls That was not going to happen on this night, but it was a really good match. I will say that it was kind of rough around the edges. There were some spots that did not go as well. And I have to probably attribute this to Max adding muscle and he looks amazing, but I think he has to get used to this new physique and how he's going to work with it because the power base spots were kind of herky jerky, but the body of the match for what it was, was good. A lot of selling by Ricky Starks. The ribs were a target for MJF, who scurried through the crowd when Ricky applied pressure early on, but he slowed down the pace as we come back from a picture-in-picture commercial break as he worked over the ribs of Ricky Starks, the fans getting behind Ricky, cheering for him as he fires his way back into this match by landing a hip toss and a lariat as he's trying to string some offense together, lands a tornado spinning flatliner, and MJF is going to try to flip out of Rochambeau, but Starks is going to block it and lands a set-up powerbomb for a very close and he'll fall Rochambeau was a difficult spot for both guys in terms of execution and lift and it kind of led to some mm, spots during this match as MJF goes for his own power bomb by driving his knees to the back of Starks for a very close near fall and he's toying with Starks slapping him repeatedly into Starks fires up and he pops MJF in the face they trade shots back and forth great slugfest that pops the crowd MJF is going to go for the eyes once again to six forearm from MJF leads to Starks bouncing from the ropes and landing a spear for the double down Starks gets a cover 
cover on MJF, but MJF is quickly going to go for the side of the earth and he's going for the future arm bar. The left arm is bent and he's twerking it. And Ricky Starks is trying to go for the ropes, but he's going to trap the foot of Ricky Starks to prevent a rope break. And it's genius. And you're thinking Ricky's going to give up, but he gets another foot, breaks the hold, and the fans are alive. For this match, we have MJF going for a bridge pinning combination, but they kind of rise and fall at the same time. It wasn't perfect. Tried again. It was a bit better as MJF goes for another powerbomb. Stark flips out of that. And MJF is going to take cover by the referee to buy some time. And in doing so, behind the referee's back, he delivers a low blow to Ricky Starks and rolls him up for the win to retain the AEW World Championship and the Dynamite Diamond Ring. A very shifty, sneaky victory for Maxwell. Not surprising in the least. And as he's leaving, the American Dragon, Brian Danielson comes out to chase down MJF. He runs through the crowd, jumps over the barricade, says sayonara for now as Brian celebrates the ring with Ricky Starks, gives him his props for hanging with MJF and almost winning the championship. This was a good match. I think if they were given a bit more time, it could run things back. They would clean up the spots they kind of messed up on with the Rochambeau and the bridge attempt, which wasn't perfect. I do say that Maxwell's got to really learn to adjust with his new body. It's beautiful. It's lovely. The physique is on point. But he's got to learn how to work with that weight now. It's extra muscle. The things he used to do are not going to be as easy because he's not light. He's more muscle-bound. And he'll find a way. This match was not perfect. This might have been one of the weaker MJF matches I've seen from him because he's exceptional as a wrestler when he is on. But he's got that new muscle mass and he's got to work with it. And he's got to modify some things to make sure he can still work at a very high level, which I know he can and he will in due time as he adjusts to this new body frame of mind, so to speak. Overall, this was a nice way to end the show. Danielson versus MJF is going to be great. When it takes place, I do believe, possibly, maybe, in Seattle, just in time for the new year. We'll see about that. And then they can run it back at Revolution at the Chase Center in San Fran in March. That makes sense for both matches. We'll see if they go there heading into the new year. And with that, this wraps up a very newsworthy dynamite. Action Andretti is that guy for a night. Chris Jericho was upset in epic fashion by the aforementioned Action Andretti. Got a great opener via Death Triangle and the Elite as the Elite are down 3-1 with three matches to make up a deficit in a DQ Falls Can Anywhere and the prolific ladder match, which will go down most likely at the Kia Forum on January 11th for Dynamite. Then we've got the main event of MJF versus Ricky Starks for the AEW World Championship and the Dynamite Diamond Ring. It was good, could have been better, and I think they're running back very, very soon, and it will be better the second time around as we now move forward to Danielson versus MJF for that title between now and possibly maybe January 4th in Seattle for the first Dynamite of 2023. But as always, with Tony Khan, we shall see as we got a loaded lineup for Holiday Bash next week with Jamie Hayter defending her AEW Women's World Championship against Akira Shida. We've got the no DQ match between the Elite and Death Triangle with the Elite needing a win to stay alive, which is going to be everything and more matches coming your way. 
on Dynamite and Rampage, which is trying to dig their way out of obscurity and back into a relevant wrestling show on Friday night. So we'll see how that goes as we enter the end of the year as well. And on that note, this wraps up episode number 91 of The Dynamite Effect, recapping the highs and lows from AEW Dynamite on TBS. I hope you enjoyed it as always. You can follow me on social media at Little Wrestling X on Twitter and on Instagram at Wrestletopia. They can find me tweeting and gramming about these podcast shows. The drop of the semi-daily recapping Monday Night Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Friday Night Smackdown on Fox, AEW Rampage on TNT, and the Sweena Sessions, recapping all things Spencer and Trina from GH every Monday right here on WST. You know what to do. This is Wrestletopia. And follow me on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneInables, Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. I'll be back. Monday morning with episode number three of the Sabrina Sessions, recapping all things Spencer and Trina from this past week's GH. I love this show so much as I am having this crossover thing with my GH and wrestling peeps, which is so much fun. And I will not be available this weekend for the SmackDown Wind Down slash AW Rampage Late Night Rager due to a prior commitment. I must attend to my sincerest apologies. I want to give you the heads up right now. So don't look for an episode on Saturday morning. I hate that. I enjoy reviewing these shows, but sometimes life gets in the way and I got other things I got to do. But I'll be back Monday and Tuesday morning for the raw verdict as we're recapping all things monday night raw the flagship show of wwe until then enjoy your thursday your friday your saturday and your sunday stay safe out there and don't forget to wash those hands see you later boys and girls take care